The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode number 77 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host and so glad that you are here with us because we have got such an amazing guest. Weston Wilson is a professional mixed martial arts fighter. Yes, he goes out there and gets in the, the cage with uh, the other guys and dukes it out and is just amazing. His attitude and his story is just so inspiring and so fantastic. I love talking to him. I'm actually a big mixed martial arts fan. I, I love watching professional fighting and I'm, I'm just fascinated by it. And Weston is an amazing guy. And this week in my Latter-day Life, I'll tell you how I'm trying to get comfortable with occasionally being uncomfortable. It's all coming up. So sit back, settle in, and enjoy this week's conversation. Today, I'm actually recording from my studio in Linden, Utah, but uh, we're doing this over the internet. And I normally introduce our guests in kind of the same way. I tell you just generally who they are and what they're known for. This week, it's my only chance, so I'm going to do it a little bit differently. And in this corner, we have weighing in. All right, I can't do it that well. But our (laughs) guest this week, darn it, I just, I don't have it. I was going to try. But our guest this week is a professional mixed martial arts uh, fighter who just is building this incredible career. Weston Wilson, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to to speak about mixed martial arts and my life and background and how I kind of got started in all of it. Well, and I think it's safe to say that Bruce Buffer uh, is under no threat from me taking his job. I couldn't, I couldn't put it all together like he does. So, not a lot of people can. Uh, <laughs> he is very good at what he does, and so is his brother. His brother's actually a, a boxing announcer. Yeah, he's the one who kind of started it all. But, uh, but Bruce Buffer in the MMA world is is a big deal. I, I am dying. I have so many questions to ask you about MMA. Uh, because I am a big mixed martial arts fan. But before we get into any of that, we got to get to know you. Tell us a little bit about where you're from and where you grew up. Uh, so I was actually born in Orange, California. Um, I'm living there currently, but I, uh, 30 years ago, you know, was born uh, in Orange. And then we moved around a lot as a kid. My dad worked for the DEA, uh, the Drug Enforcement Administration. Uh, yeah. So it took us to... Oklahoma, Arkansas, Virginia, Brazil, um, kind of took us all over the place. Um, and then he ended up retiring up in Seattle or Tacoma area, uh, cause that was his last, last job. Um, and so, yeah, it, it took us all over the U S and, and Brazil. Wow. Um, and so as part of that, that's kind of how I got, I got started in MMA was the move down to Brazil. So are, are your family members of the church? Were you raised in the church? Yeah. Um, my family members were, were all members um, on my the Wilson side. I think I'm either a seventh or eighth generation member. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's great. And you were born in Orange County, California, uh, where actually where I was born. I was born in Fullerton. Uh, so you were born in Orange County. Do you consider... 
I mean, do you consider yourself an Orange County native? I know you live there now, um, but do you it, consider yourself hard. a native we, there? We moved away from California when I was eight. Um, and where I had like the most formative years were probably in Stafford, Virginia. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so I kind of consider Virginia more of my, my hometown, uh, since yeah. that's where I did the majority of my high school years. And yeah. somebody told me, cause I was like, I don't really have a hometown. Someone told me, well, where'd you go to high school? And, and they're like, high school is your, your hometown year. So that's, I, I like that answer. So I always consider Virginia. And so my closest friendships are, are the kids I grew up with in Virginia. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Do you have siblings? I do. Um, I am one of six. I'm the third. So I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah. It, which is kind of interesting because they talk about middle children being fighters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, they're, you know, you don't get you don't get the attention of the older ones. You don't get the attention of the younger ones. The middle ones have to fight for their attention. So maybe there's something there. So it, it's weird. Our family, we have one girl. She's the oldest. And the next oldest is my brother, Nathan. He's uh, four years younger than Natalie. And then me and Nathan are 21 months apart. Oh, wow. Um, and then it's my three little brothers. Yeah, very cool. Are you the only fighter in the group? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. from what I understand from doing a little bit of homework on you, you actually started with wrestling. Is that right? Yeah, I started wrestling um, in seventh grade. I was, I was really small and I was living in Oklahoma and uh, where football is life. And I started realizing like I would never – get the chance to play. Like I started out in peewee first string, you know, and then slowly like I wasn't growing at the rate of everybody else. And so I was like, I gotta do something where size isn't really an issue. Cause I was, I was the runt of our family and I was also just the smallest kid in, in school. So I started wrestling um, because somebody told me like, Hey, you know what? You're, you're a feisty kid and, and you'd be good at wrestling. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And, and I fell in love with it. Um, the first day, I remember my first wrestling practice in seventh grade. Um, and, and I had dabbled around with the idea of wrestling in fifth and sixth grade. But then seventh grade was my first like official, like I'm going to join the wrestling team. And uh, there's this one kid who was older than me. And he was like the best guy around our weight. And uh, he would bully everybody. And I remember going with him. Uh, his name was Blake May and he tried to bully me and he, he beat me, but not as much as he did everybody else. And so my whole, <laughs> I, I'm by the time I'm in eighth grade, I'm going to beat him. And, and I eventually did. Um, and, and so that's like, that was like my love was this kid pushed me and he was bullying everybody. And I realized like, okay, he can't bully me. And wow. And so that's kind of how I, I fell in love with wrestling. So that was my first love. And it's surprising to hear me talk about, or to hear you talk about how small you are, because you are six foot one now, so yep. you must have had a really big growth spurt. But you are quite thin. Tell, so um, you yeah. fight in what what class? You fight in featherweight, right? Yeah, I fight at one hundred forty five pounds. Actually, I used to fight at one hundred thirty five pounds, but I got tired of losing thirty pounds before every fight. Um, <laughs> if the right opportunity came, I might go back down to one thirty five, but. Uh, it's safe to say I'm probably going to stay at 145. So, so for our for our listeners who are not MMA fans, uh, what you've got a walk around weight and you have got a fighting weight. And do you want to tell us what kind of what the difference is and what your walk around weight is versus your fighting weight? 
Yeah, so your walk around weight is is what you weigh when you're not training for or not when you're I'm always training every day, but when I'm not like training for a specific fight. Um so I range anywhere between 165 to I've gotten as high up as 175, but that's because I was going to be fighting at 155, so I was like I'm going to put on some mass. Um mm. not trying to put on weight. I I usually not really like weight training or anything like yeah. that or specific diet when I just eat whatever I want. Um, I'm about 165. Yeah. And so, uh, so then you cut right before, uh, and it's amazing to watch. I mean, guys will cut 15 pounds in a couple of days right before a fight. You weigh in and then you hydrate and immediately you're five, seven, 10 pounds more, right? Oh, you're bigger than that. Um, so, <laughs> so how it'll work is, the, the whole weight cutting process is I, st- I like to start two to three weeks. If I'm, if I'm going to 145, I, I start about three weeks before weigh-ins. Mm. Um, and I start cutting out, you know, soda. I cut out a lot of sugars. I cut out um, – and everybody's different. So I cut out um, red meat and um, I start watching my, my carbs. I have friends who they cut out – all their carbs and all they're eating is, is, uh, proteins and, and fats. I can't yeah. do that. Um, just cause of my, my build, I'm what they call an ectomorph. So I have, yeah. have carbs in order to run properly. Um, and so I'll start losing about a pound a day. And then when I get down to about one, uh, 55, I, I kind of just taper and keep it. So once I lose that first 10 pounds, I, I taper and then I'll try to do like no more than 10 pounds of, of a water cut. So 24 hours before I, I uh, weigh in. So if weigh-ins are, you know, Friday at 11 a.m., Thursday at 11 a.m., I quit eating um, any foods or anything like that. And I start focusing on, on the water weight cut. So I start dehydrating my body um, slowly at first. And then uh, usually like at eight in the morning on the day of weigh-ins, I start doing a, I do salt baths. So I get a bath really hot. I put a bunch of Epsom salt um, and wintergreen rubbing alcohol you mm. bath, and you sit in there for 20 minutes and then you dry off and you stay wrapped up in, in a bunch of towels. You keep sweating for about 10 minutes and then you go back in the hot bath for another 20 minutes and I'll lose about anywhere from six to eight pounds that way. And that's wow. great. That level of devotion to me is amazing, Weston. Uh, it's got to be, you have to be sitting in church rolling your eyes when people complain about Fast Sunday. I mean, you've got to be, right? <laughs> no, the most I, high extreme version. I, you know, so five days before weigh-ins, like I, I cut my diet seriously. Like I'm, I'm on maybe a thousand, a thousand calories a day, if that sometimes like less just depending on how much I, I need to lose. Um, but it, it's not fun. And yeah. after I've made weight and after the fight, like I have this, this hunger that I can never cure. And so I just start eating junk food and eating as like much food as I can. <laughs> and I, I blimp up. And then after like after weigh-ins too, that's a whole nother thing that, that a lot of people don't realize is like, so as soon as I weigh in and I can drink fluids, uh, there's proper rehydration protocol that you've got to follow. 
If you don't, you get really sick. Um, and so like, as soon as I weigh in, I start taking, uh, amino acids and water until my stomach starts working again. And after your first urination, then you're, you know, like, okay, I can, I can eat now because my digestive system's working and, and everything. Um, and so then you start eating simple foods at first, fruits and things like that. And then Damn. you slowly start putting on more and more. So I, I used to, like, as soon as I made weight, I just eat whatever I wanted and then I get sick and, you know, throw up the Damn. night before. Um, but now I've got like a, a rehydration protocol that I follow. Um, this is all just so amazing to me, Weston, that the level of devotion, I want to go back to where the MMA thing started. And again, we have a lot of uh, listeners who may or may not know MMA. MMA stands for mixed martial arts and the quick history is there was always these there were always these arguments about no my karate will beat your boxing no my boxing will beat your jiu-jitsu or your taekwondo and so mixed martial arts kind of started as a form of hey you're going to fight your way I'm going to fight mine but it has morphed into you have to be an all-arounder you have to be a striker you have to be able to punch and kick and and do jiu-jitsu and take people down to the ground which you are a very well-rounded fighter you I've watched uh I watched one of your fights and you, you will stand up and you'll throw gloves as they say, and you'll also go to the ground and actually you got to win on the ground. So when did, uh, when did you kind of make that shift um, from just wrestling into other forms of fighting? So I was, um, I actually saw my first UFC event in fifth grade. I was at my, I was at my dad's office in Oklahoma working and this guy, Jim Waddell, he, he brought it in. Um, and so he's like, you guys got to check this out. And and so we watched and I was like, that's cool. Um, and then when I was in ninth grade, MMA started to those fringe people who were like into the sport, started making its waves in, in 2005. And so I, I watched it as a ninth grader and I was like, I was like, I'm going to do this. And so I, I started realizing like, I'm going to wrestle my butt off until, you know, I'm good enough at wrestling to where I can, I can make a transition. Cause at that time the wrestlers were dominating everything. Yeah. It was Matt, um, Matt Hughes time. Yeah. It was Matt Hughes time. Yep. Um, and then, so Rich Franklin is actually my favorite fighter at that time. Oh and yeah. Cause he was, he was pretty well rounded, you know, and, and I thought it was cool. He's a math teacher. He wasn't like, he was well educated. Right. And I always knew that in order to appease my parents, I had to be well educated if I was going to I was ever going to do this. Um, so we moved to Brazil and it was what should have been my, my fret or my senior year of high school. So this was supposed to be my breakout year in wrestling. My junior year, I had college scouts looking at me and, and, you know, I had a couple D three D two schools, you know, offering me, you know, a chance to wrestle on their team. Um, and so I was, I lost all of that when we moved to Brazil and I ended up having to repeat a year down in Brazil. And, uh, so my dad says, you know what? I know wrestling is like your life. It's your, your love. If you find a gym, I will pay for you to learn how to do MMA. So I sought out, you know, gyms out there and I didn't really speak Portuguese either. I, I, because of, where I was at for high school, my language credits, I had to keep taking Spanish instead of Portuguese. <laughs> so I didn't even learn Portuguese, but through fighting, I actually like gained a deeper understanding with all the people that I was training with. Um, 
And, and there's a lot of, it's cool martial arts. Like there's a couple universal languages, right. That, that we don't, we don't have to have like it. You don't have to speak the language to understand that person and fighting one of those. Um, and, and it was through the martial arts and everything with these guys, these Brazilians, I actually started learning more Portuguese and learning how to speak and communicate. And we had this understanding. I don't, I don't ever remember a time of not being able to progress because of a language barrier um, when I was out there, which was really cool. And and it was a way of, of, you know, me learning that the gift of tongues or the gift of interpretation really isn't what we think it is sometimes. Like, it's so neat. Like you, you well, can, in the in the MMA world, there are kind of two meccas, or two major hotspots. There's there's Thailand and there's Brazil. I mean, Brazil is where jujitsu, this form of jujitsu, really with the uh, the Gracie brothers and those types, it all came out of Brazil, and then of course Thailand for uh, kickboxing. But so for you to be able to train in Brazil, did you understand how major that was? I mean, guys, guys save up their whole lives to go train down in Brazil, and and here you were as a teenager. Yeah. Um, no, it was, it was very cool. I had my first kickboxing fights in Brazil. Um, I had my first jujitsu tournaments in Brazil. Um, and I, I was just this young 18 year old kid, like begging my coaches and my broken Portuguese and their broken English. Like, Hey, I want to fight MMA. Like I want to fight MMA. Like, let me in there. Let me in there. Let me in there. You know? And, and, it didn't, it didn't work out that way um, that I got to actually do an MMA fight when I was down in Brazil, but I got enough competition experience um, to where like I was ready when I eventually did fight MMA. And, and so it, you, you were training in everything you were training in, in jujitsu. You already had a wrestling background. You trained in jujitsu. You tra- trained in, in uh, striking some type of kickboxing. Yeah. So I was doing Muay Thai. Um, I was doing jujitsu. And then whenever one of the guys in the, on the, the fight team had a fight get ready, like they'd be like, all right, Weston, you're going to go, just go and wrestle him. Just go and wrestle him. So I'm like, okay, whatever. And, and so I go in there with these grown men and I just, I just wrestle them. I just grab them down to the ground. And, and a lot of them were, were, you know, quite a bit bigger than me. And, and that was actually when I went through my growth spurt. Cause I was five, six, um, five, seven, and then the the summer between like my sophomore and junior year and then my junior senior year, between those two years, I put on like seven inches. Oh my gosh. And wow. I grew I grew even more on my mission. And the year <laughs> after my mission, I grew another inch. So did you come back to the US or did you leave on your mission out of Brazil? I, I went home or I, I left and came home to Brazil. Okay. Where did you serve your mission? I, I served my mission in uh, Rochester, New York, Spanish speaking. Oh, I love Rochester. I absolutely love, love, love that area. It's I, awesome. I love Western York. I actually spent a year of my mission in Geneva, uh, mm. Deer Lakes. How I did cool. the uh, Fayette Ward for a year or uh, 10 and a half. Yeah. That's beautiful. Was it a hard decision? I mean, you're training. You're putting all this into training. You kind of see, hey, maybe I could actually do this. Was it a hard, de- uh, hard decision, or was it just uh, no? I'm going on a mission. No, it, it was super hard. Um, and I don't tell a lot of people this. I actually didn't want to go on a mission. Hmm. Um, I wanted to be a fighter, and I was I was 19, and I was making a little bit of waves just at the gym and everything, like 
I'd go against their pros and, and I could beat them. I could take rounds away from them. Um, and I could just keep going and going and going and going. Like I would never get tired in the gym. Um, and so I had a lot of coaches and everybody say like, you can make it, like you can make it to the big show. Like there's no doubt in our minds that if you just stick with this for a couple more years, you know, take a couple amateur fights, go a couple pro fights, you know, at that time it, it wasn't extremely difficult to get to the UFC um, because there wasn't a ton of talent. Now you've got so many kids starting at like 13 years old, wanting to be fighters and, and going through at that time, there wasn't a lot of us because it wasn't a big, a big sport. There wasn't a lot of kids like, Hey, this is what I want. Sure. To do. I'm, I'm going to throw all my eggs in this basket. Um, so I, I really wanted to be a, a fight in the UFC and, and I haven't gotten there yet, but um, I'm hoping this will be the year. Um, well, we're going to get to it because you've been on some, I mean, some big, big tickets, but uh, I want, I want to stick with the mission just for a minute. Did you ever, were you ever, uh, I should say, were, was your mission president aware that you were a fighter? Did, did, did everybody in the mission kind of know, Hey, Weston's a fighter. Um, yes and no. Um, so, so deciding to go on a mission, um, it, it was, uh, it was in April. I was kind of just doing the paperwork to, to go on a mission, but wasn't like a hundred percent. Like, you know, I, I knew I could still back out at any moment. Um, and so my aunt and uncle were in town visiting and, and, uh, or I should say aunts and uncles were in town visiting. And my dad said, Hey, why don't you, cause at, at this time I was a senior and I only had like two classes a day at the school I was going to. And so my dad was like, why don't you just take off school and go take your aunts and uncles down to Faziguasu? You'll ride at this bus for 12 hours. And so it was cool. I was on a bus and there was this pygmy Australian guy and, or not Australian, uh, Brazilian from the Amazon and he's very intrigued to see, you know, white Americans on this bus and the only Americans on this bus. And so he, he starts talking to us and, and uh, he starts talking to me and asking me these questions. And he asked me these, these five questions, like random questions, like what's a fish that lives in the Amazon? What's a fruit in the Amazon? You know, but his last question was, was different than everything else. He says, do you believe in God? And if so, tell me about this, this God. And, and so, you know, I was taken aback by that question because it was different than everything else. And my Portuguese was a little shoddy. Uh, I wasn't the greatest. But I I remember, like, saying, yeah, you know, I believe in God. And, and I said a quick prayer. I said, Heavenly Father, like, let me teach this guy a lesson in Portuguese and, and not be stuttered by my – not be stuck up on my language. Just Just give me the gift of tongues. And, and I was able to speak to him and uh, the guy who was sitting next to him was a smuggler. He would go down to uh, Paraguay, smuggle a bunch of electronics and bring them back. And so him and, and the pygmy guy started asking me all these questions about, you know, being Mormon and the Book of Mormon and everything else. Or I should say being a Latter-day Saint and the Book of Mormon. Um, and, and so at that moment, I was like, you know what? I, I've got to serve a mission. Like fighting can can get put on hold. And so Awesome. That's, you know, how I decided I was, I was going to go on a mission. 
That is such an amazing story. I just, I wondered if I were, if I were the mission president, because every once in a while you get missionaries who are a little tricky, who are kind of struggling and sometimes don't have the best attitude. I would be very tempted to put them with you as a companion. <laughs> <laughs> Having a fighter as a companion, I think would, uh, would straighten things out pretty quickly, or at least they wouldn't be trying to pull anything for sure. I, so. I had one, that, that only happened to me once. I had a companion, <laughs> uh, the mission president was like, other Wilson, like, you just need to help him stay disciplined and lose weight. He's been hard companion because his eating habits and his hygiene habits, and, and and he's very introverted, very shy guy. Um, and that whole transfer, um, I actually made him think that we didn't have a car for two weeks, and we walked everywhere. <laughs> uh, and it wasn't until it wasn't until one of my rides fell through and we had somewhere to be that I was like, all right. Elder, we've got a car. Let's hurry up and get to the car because we got to get And he was so like flabbergasted. That, that. <laughs> and this was winter too. Like, so I was making him walk in the snow and everything like that. Um, but he had a. And winter in Rochester can be brutal. Yeah, he got to stay on his mission. He lost 30 pounds in that six weeks and, and got to stay on his mission. So it was good. Um, oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. So you, you get home from your mission. You went back down to Brazil. Did you stay in Brazil very long? No, just a month because um, my parents were already getting ready to move to Tacoma. And so I was there for just a month. Um, and then uh, we moved to Tacoma. I was in Tacoma for a month, two weeks, three weeks, something like that, and then went to BYU. And how was your BYU experience? Um, it was good. I, I kind of had a chip on my shoulder the whole time I was at BYU. Um, mm. and it wasn't until I left BYU and, and cause the whole time I was at BYU, I, I not the whole time, the first two years I, I wasn't fighting. So I took a total of four years off fighting two years for the mission, two years. And then once I got married, um, cause I did five years at BYU. Oh, gotcha. Cause I didn't get into the PR program. And so that's what I really want to do. And, and something I've learned through fighting, like, is if, if you fail and lose, like sometimes you just got to get back up and, and go again. And, and so I didn't get into the PR program. And so I took a, uh, I took a bunch of electives for a year until I could reapply and, and end up getting in. Are you saying PR is in public relations? Yeah. Public relations. Yeah. Yeah. yeah fantastic. And then, uh, how did you meet your wife? Um, so funny story. Uh, I knew her in Oklahoma when my dad was the Bishop of that ward. Her dad was the first counselor, and my wife's actually two and a, two years and some change older than me. And uh, when we were youth, I threw a water balloon in her face when yeah. she said that she didn't want to participate because she just got in a spray tan because she was going to go to the prom. And so she was mad. She went and dried off, and then uh, she came raging out the doors like a bull. And tackled me from behind, started punching me, beating me up. Um, and I'm wow. like a 13 year old kid, just a punk. Um, and and I was small, and so I was always like like a chihuahua, like willing to fight anybody, uh, but really tiny and couldn't do any harm. So I said, get her off me, and I'm like ready to punch her in the face. And then uh, I got tackled by a leader, and he's like, oh, you don't punch girls, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is just a big mess. And I was like, whatever, my dad's a bishop. And I forgot my <laughs> And uh, it became this whole thing. And there was this whole joke. Oh, that's uh, funny. That's so funny, Weston. Ten years later, we ended up getting married. And 
we reconnected on Facebook and, and I thought, awesome. I thought she was really pretty. And so I was like, Hey, uh, sorry about the water balloon all those years ago. And then we started texting and then we dated long distance and, and eventually got, got married. That is such a great story. That's awesome. While you were at BYU, uh, you got back into fighting and, one of the things, and it's it's unfortunately closed since, but there was a fighting gym near BYU that was actually churned out some really big fighters and really, I mean, it was an amazing place for people yep. to train. Yep. Um, did did you did you uh, was that where you were training or yep. were you training somewhere else? Yep. The pit elevated. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I I got back into fighting because I I was telling my wife I. I Wanted to do PR, and so I thought, well, you know, I would love to do PR and in MMA. I actually don't do that, but um, my wife's like, why don't you just do one fight? So I was like, okay. So I figured out like how to do. It. I studied like how to how to get a fight and everything, um, and I started training at the Pit Elevated um, back in 2012, and um, <clears throat> so that's where I got my start. And I had my first amateur fight. I was fighting a kid who was three and zero. I was supposed to get my butt whooped. The kid was ripped and had, you know, abs on top of his abs. And, <laughs> and uh, I ended up beating him uh, by submission. And and after that, I was hooked. Like, I, I was absolutely hooked to, to fighting. And I kept training and working my way up the amateur rankings and, until I went pro. And the whole time I was at BYU and I, and I was like, man, like, I'm, a, I'm an athlete. Like, I should be treated like a BYU athlete. <laughs> And, and nobody like cared about me fighting and, and everything like that. Like, <laughs> I had a couple of professors who thought it was cool and, and they would kind of give me a little bit of leeway, especially like later on when I was finishing up in 2015. Um, yeah. They were very cool about everything. And, and uh, so my senior year at BYU, like I started getting a little bit more like recognition and, and, but it wasn't until I graduated um, that, and actually moved away from Utah that like BYU started supporting me and like doing articles on me and, and, you know, having, you know, tweeting me and and everything before some fights and and things like that. So. Yeah. BYU has done some articles on you in the uh, daily universe in the paper there and uh, very, very proud to say BYU alum. Um, And for, for our listeners who don't follow MMA, when you say submission, that just means that you have either choked or or twisted someone's arm or whatever until they tapped out. They submit. Yep. They basically tap um, and say they're done. You can end a fight with a few different ways. I mean, there's a submission. There's a technical knockout where somebody can't defend themselves. Yeah. Basically, uh, anymore. The ref steps in. They're not. They're not unconscious, but the ref steps in and. Um, yeah. And says, all right, we've seen enough. Like, I need to protect the fighter. Or there's there's knockout uh, where you really do knock somebody out and they're unconscious. And then there's the scariest one for fighters, I think, which is decision, <laughs> which means yeah. that none of those things have happened during the fight. And there are three judges uh, who are going to judge the fight and, and decide on the winner. Um, you are You only have... What one decision win? I, or I mean, I, one decision loss. I, I have a decision loss. Uh, you have a decision loss, but every other fight you've had has either ended in a TKO or a submission. So you're an aggressive fighter. You know, I'm I'm really not. I'm actually a counter fighter. I just, I, I'm, I like to say like 
All right, so there's there's different fighters. Like you have fighters, you have athletes, you have people who are competitors who just they just love to compete, and then you have artists. I consider myself more of an artist and a competitor um, than an actual fighter or an athlete. Like I'm not very athletic. Um, I'm not. I'm not a fighter. I don't, I don't like to like go in there and and brawl and and punch. And, um, but I do like to put on a show and I do like to, to win. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm very creative and and intelligent. Like for me, it's all about strategy. It's not, I, I don't enjoy the aspect of like hurting my opponent. Uh, I remember the first time I, I made an opponent bleed and I got blood all over myself. I thought this was really cool. And then immediately ran to the bathroom and threw up because <laughs> I couldn't stand the smell. Of blood. Um, I also, oh my gosh! It, it was my second pro fight. I actually had uh, appendicitis. I went into the fight super ill, and I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like I tell my coach, "Like I, I think I have the flu. Like I just, I have this pain in my stomach. I feel nauseous." I, I and my coach was like, "Look, a fight from the moment the fight starts, to the moment the fight's over, seventeen minutes." He's like five minute periods with one minute break. And he said, you got this. Like you can do this. It's 15, 17 minutes. They're like, you can do anything in your life for 17 minutes. It's like, okay, we're going to do this 17 minutes. And uh, after the fight, I was still sick. and I, The pain got worse and sharper. And my dad's always been my, my biggest fan. And I, I call my dad almost every day. And uh, I think through MMA, like our relationship has gotten a lot stronger. Um, because even when like my mom and my wife and, and people wanted me to quit because they weren't, they didn't think it was very becoming of a Latter-day Saint to, to be fighting. Um, my dad always supported me and, and my brothers have always supported me. And, yeah. um, my dad was like, Hey, I think you got appendicitis. Like you need to go to the ER. And I was like, well, I got a shift at work. Like I had just fought and I had to go to work the next day. And I was like, I got work. And, and he's like, no, like you need to go to the hospital now. And, so I went to the hospital and the surgeon was like, yeah, this thing's ready to pop. He's like, you waited any longer. Oh my gosh. And he was like, and if you had gotten hit in the stomach, you could have died. Um, Weston. Wow. And, and it was funny. Cause it was one of my, it was one of my favorite victories ever because I was thinking to myself, like leading up, like Michael Jordan, he fought, or, like, he played with the flu and had one of his yeah. remarkable days. And this was my first like actual knockout, not TKO. Um, because the second round came out, we changed the plan because I was trying to finish him with a submission and I couldn't, I didn't have the strength in my arms to finish him. So we decided to let him press me against the cage, throw a couple elbows and then throw a couple knees and use the power of my hips to, to knock him out. And so I dropped him with a couple knees until he went completely unconscious. Um, but I wow. him with some elbows and I got blood all over me and, and it was disgusting. And it made you sick. Yeah, it just made me super sick. I ran. I immediately ran from as soon as I got out of the cage. I ran to the bathroom and uh, threw up because I, I couldn't stand the yeah. smell of. It. And so now I'm like, I don't, I don't care to have like bloody fights. It's not something that I look for. Maybe that's why you've gotten to more submissions since then. <laughs> uh, I mean, I still got out of my six wins. I, I still got more knockouts than submissions, but. Yeah, I, I see that. Um, I So I want to touch on this theme because I think it's one thing. Like I watch – it's funny. I actually watch MMA uh, with a bunch of guys from my ward. 
and we're all a bunch of big MMA fans. We get together, you know, it's uh, all, all the guys from the quorum get together and we watch MMA and I watch and I, I spent, I, I mean, I'm embarrassed to even say this cause I'm so bad. I have, I actually have a, a heavy bag in my basement that I strike all the time. I, I spent about a year and a half uh, doing Muay Thai and I'm in love with it. So I watch it from a very technical point of view, but I, I, you know, I think a lot of people misunderstand MMA or they at least have a different perception as to what it is. Um, you know, they look at, they look at it and they go, Oh, it's barbaric. It's violent. And I look at it as a very technical sport, much the same way football. I mean, people get injured in football, a lot more injuries in football than in MMA. Yeah. One of the things people don't realize is in MMA, when you can't defend yourself anymore, or if you are knocked out, that's the end of it versus boxing where they keep standing people up and whatnot. But tell people like your take on that, because I'm sure you've had members of the church go, hey, you're an active member of the church. You know, you're going to the temple, you're hanging out with your family or whatever, and then you're involved in this sport. Talk us through a little bit about uh, the uh, misunderstanding from your point of view people have about uh, MMA. Um, you know, the church has come a lot of long way and the members have become a lot more understanding. When I first started in Brazil, I was, uh, 19 years old. I was teaching the junior primary American junior primary class. Um, and I had parents who my dad was the bishop, it was in the bishopric um, so he would tell me like that there are parents who'd come to him and, and super concerned. And, and one parent even told my mom that she wasn't a very good mother for allowing her son to fight. Oh no. Um, and that she failed as a mother for allowing me to be such a, a, a essentially a hood rat and, and be training with these fighters and, and, and how horrible I was for, for wanting to go down that path and how she couldn't trust, you know, her kid in, in primary class. And she would like, when I first got called to be the primary teacher, she would like come in every like five minutes to check on her son and check on, on, but really like what it was was she was checking on me as the teacher to make sure I was like teaching gospel related things. It was really funny. Um, Weston, that is, that is awful. I'm sorry. That is, I, I hope we've come a long way since then. And now everybody's always super supportive, super cool. And, and those who aren't, they usually don't voice their opinion to me. Um, and, and I, I, I tell everybody like there's so many, I actually started writing a book. I'm almost finished. I, I need to revise a couple things, but I wrote a book called gospel lessons learned in the cage where I relate a lot of things that are gospel related through MMA, like a lot of things I've learned in MMA that have actually strengthened my testimony because I see principles, you know, from training or principles from, from fighting itself. I see it and, and how it works, you know, the same way with Heavenly Father and, our, and the plan and the gospel and everything like that. So I, I wrote a book called Gospel Lessons Learned in the Cage. I need to finish it and send it off to a publisher, which my second mission president, Jack R. Christensen is, is helping me with. Oh, wow. Yeah, of course. <laughs> That's awesome. Very soon. I actually had it all finished in June or July, but I just haven't. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and, and to be fair, it's not for everyone. You know, my wife doesn't enjoy watching it and Mine either. you know, there, there are, yeah, I'm sure she doesn't enjoy watching you fight. I, I mean, you know, it's funny. I remember, uh, I started sparring. I was doing 
Muay Thai uh, for a while. In fact, funny connection you and I have, though we've never actually met. Um, I tried jujitsu once. I tried one class of jujitsu. I was doing Muay Thai three times a week and loving it. And I tried jujitsu once, and that was enough to tell me I I'm not built for jujitsu. I don't enjoy it. But my instructor in jujitsu, that one class, the only jujitsu class I ever took, was actually Jason Mertlich. Oh, that's my coach. Yeah, that's my coach. Who is your your coach? So so yeah, I like to brag and say yeah, Weston Wilson and I have the same coach for the one forty five minute class I took with him. But uh, but yeah, he's a very talented fighter. That guy's a good guy. It's not for everybody. MMA is not for everybody, and that's okay. And um, we'll see in Jason's reconversion in, into the church. Um, oh no, kidding! When I first when I first. Uh, start working with Jason in 2012, he, he wasn't active in the church and I don't think he really had plans of getting active in the church. And and now he's, you know, gotten sealed to his wife and, and kid and, and everything like that. And it's, it's been amazing to see, see that whole conversion process. And, and, um, when we'd go to either fight and we'd go out of town and he'd come with me or, uh, when I'd go help coach and corner, um, with him, we, we did get in these long discussions and it was, it's been amazing to see his reconversion, uh, into the, Oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, that's awesome. We'll have to have him on the show sometime and tell, tell his story. Cause he, he is so talented. Yeah. I want to go back to something that happened a year. And, oh yeah. Uh, I want to go back to something that happened a year and a half ago. And you mentioned earlier on the show that, uh, you know, you, you're, you're working toward hopefully, fighting in the UFC. And that's what people kind of know MMA as is the UFC, which is uh, ultimate fighting championship. But basically there are different venues or different organizations that put on fights. And I think it's safe to say, I mean, of course, UFC is far and away the biggest, but it, I, I'm pretty sure, at least from what I've seen, that the second largest is Bellator. Yep. Bellator is a big, big fight organization who attracts some of the world's best fighters and a year and a half ago, you fought uh, in Bellator. What was that experience like? You know, it was it was coming to a point where I was kind of coaching more than I was training because of the gym I was at in Texas. Um, and work wasn't going where I wanted it to go. And, and a lot of things like I was kind of at the bottom of my barrel. Like I was trying so hard to get a new job. I was trying so hard to make a decent living, not living paycheck to paycheck. Um, and, and we're really struggling and it'd been like two years, you know, I was trying to either get in the PR field. I was trying to get in, you know, law enforcement as I was rejected job after job I applied to for two straight years. Um, and so this opportunity came and, and I had just, I was just getting off of an ACL surgery. And so fighting wasn't going where I wanted it to either. And, this opportunity came and I was like, you know, it's a big opportunity, but like the guy they're wanting me to fight, obviously like he's the number one kid in Uruguay and, and the Uruguayan president tweeted about it, about him fighting me. And, and so I, you know, I tell my dad, I was like, I got this opportunity, you know, and my dad's like, look, you're either going to get your butt kicked or you're going to kick his butt, but at least you'll know where you're at, you know, if you <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And so I'm training for it. And my wife came through and she said, you know, why don't my parents have a house in Midway? Um, that 
Oh yeah. They have like a little vacation home that we all meet up at. And so she was like, why don't you go live in Midway for the month, work out of your Utah office. Um, Cause at the time I was working for Entrada out of the Dallas office. Um, I was one of the yeah. Utah Silicon slope companies. And so I was like, okay, cool. And she's like, why don't you just focus on being a fighter? Like you've never gotten to just focus on being a fighter full time. And so I went with, uh, I called Jason and, and Rad Martinez, who's another coach out there. Who's he has a brilliant story of his own about taking care of his father while being a, a fighter. His father, uh, had a traumatic brain injury. Um, oh, wow. and so I, I went out there and I, I got to put in a full, you know, five weeks away from the family and just focus on training. And as I'm getting ready to go back to Texas, I get a call that my opponent fell through and I was like, Oh, geez. Uh, I kind of knew it was going to happen. I kept telling my coaches like, Hey, I don't think this kid's going to fight me. And so he gave me a new opponent. Um, and I ended up going out there and winning. I don't think regardless of who I fought that night, I don't think I would have lost because I, I felt so good. And, and I, I really, that was a big confidence booster for me to know that, it doesn't matter who I'm fighting or who's standing in front of me. If I put in that type of work, I, I can come on top and, and win in any way, whether it's a submission or a knockout or, or a decision. Like I, I feel like that was a big changing moment. And then from there, things just really started taking off. I ended up getting another fight offer, you know, 20 days later on a seven day notice. Uh, so I had to lose 20 pounds in seven days and I'm getting really sick and, and lost that fight. But I know if I had fought him, Without getting sick, without being sick, I, I I know I would have beat him. So I'm watching the fight, and one of the most impressive things to me is who called the fight. You know, you've got announcers on the side. Tell us the team that was calling your fight. Uh, so I had Chael Sonnen, who was somebody I looked up to. Mike Goldberg, who as a kid, I always wanted to hear him say my name or, or comment <laughs> on my fights. And then Jimmy Smith. Uh, who was in a really cool show called um, Fight Quest, where he'd go around the world and and do all these, yeah. these uh, martial arts. Um, so it was cool to see to hear my name and hear them as I'm fighting them talking about me, and I'd, I'd catch glimpses as I'm fighting. Um, and it was hard to like stay focused at the same time, like wow, is this, this is actually happening? Like this is a big moment for me because uh, yeah. a lot of things I dreamed about started to come true. That is so amazing. Now you've, so, I mean, three hall of famers right there. Um, what's next for your career then Weston? So it's funny. I actually got called, uh, the beginning of this year to fight on Bellator's last card on the main card. Um, once again, I think they were trying to bring me in to lose to a kid that they were trying to hype. Um, but I couldn't take that fight cause I just signed to fight in February. So I'm fighting on a local show here in orange, uh, in February and then I'm going to be coming back to Utah to fight March 30th, as long as I don't get injured in my February 21st fight. Um, if I can win both of those, hopefully that kind of lines me up for a shot to compete for a, a UFC contract this summer. That's kind that of the would goal. Be, that would be amazing. But you've yeah. got something much bigger than the UFC going on now, which is you've got kids. You're a dad now. So uh, do you take some time to wrestle with your kids? Tell us about your family. Um, yeah, so I've got two girls and one on the way, uh, a third girl on the way. Um, and and I, more than being a fighter, like I, I love being a father. I love being able to, you know, 
be that example to my kids and, and take them around and, you know, have fun. And really the, I've got a great job now. I do product management in a software company. And so the money I make from fighting really isn't like money that helps support our family. It's, it's stuff that I can use for my kids and, and we can go and have fun and take trips and go to the zoo and, and things like that. Um, and, and so a lot of people ask me like why I still fight now that I have kids, it can be dangerous. Um, it's really just as a legacy thing. Like I want my kids to grow up and think like, Hey, my dad had this really crazy goal and he accomplished it. So I can, I can do whatever I want to do. You know, I don't want people that think that they have limitations because of their, their upbringing, um, because awesome. of their parents. And so that's really why I continue to fight is because I want my kids and my grandkids and, and my legacy to think like, Hey, we can do whatever we want. Like, you know, dad or grandpa, he was this, he was just this average kid growing up, like average intellectually average, you know, athletically, but he, he reached the top of his potential. That's um, awesome. And so that's kind of what I want is I want my legacy to, I want to inspire them and I want to inspire everybody. You know, um, I, I really, when I'm done fighting, uh, the reason I wrote the book is, is I want to, I want to speak to kids and, and let them know, like, you don't have to, you know, go through that. I work a nine to five. I, I have to go to school. You should go to college, but, um, you know, I, I want kids to think that, you know, they can do the things that, that they, they set their minds to, that they can reach the goals and, and there's a way to do it and, and have everything else. You know, I, I, love I appease my wife, I appease my, my mother, by, by having a great profession and being a, a, a full-time father and a full-time, you know, college student and, and having a full-time career and still fighting full-time as well. Like I, I did it all at once. Uh, and I, I've gotten to reach those goals and, and milestones. I still have a couple more to go, but you know, I, I was able to do it all and, and heavenly father blessed me with the, the ability to time manage and, and to, you know, have the strength to do everything um, that I wanted to love it. It's, it's really inspiring. And, and I would say for our listeners who want to know more about Weston's story, uh, Weston's great to follow on Instagram. I don't know how private you keep that Instagram account or you want people to follow you. Yeah, it's public. Uh, Yeah. So I, what I love about it is it'll show you sweating it out in the gym, rolling with guys, hitting guys with guys, whatever training. And then there'll be a great shot of you rolling around with your daughter, which I just love that, uh, you know, it'll be a, a picture of you, you know, near the temple or whatever, and then a picture of you in the gym. And it's, it's Weston, you've, you've kind of figured this out, I think, of, of really going for it in a, a unique, cool area and yet still living the gospel. It's, it's really inspiring. I'm so glad we had a chance to talk today. I want to finish today with uh, the question that we ask all of our guests, uh, which is, Weston Wilson, what does being a member of the church mean to you? You know, being a member, it's, it's a foundation. Um, and, and it's a foundation I'm, I'm extremely grateful for. Uh, it's, it's what kind of keeps me grounded. It, it, uh, helps me know which direction to go to. And even when you lose, like losing a fight is, is awful. It's a terrible feeling. Um, but because I'm a member of the church, I have an internal, uh, have an eternal perspective on things. Um, a loss really doesn't matter because I have my family, I have my girls, I have my, my parents and my siblings. And 
all those around me that are going to love me regardless of, of if I win or lose. Um, and none of this actually really matters except for, you know, living the gospel. And, and, and that's kind of, for me, the, the most important part. I love um, it. I absolutely love it. Uh, he is a father, a husband, a professional fighter, and a pretty darn amazing member of the church. Weston, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Sean, for having me on. I appreciate it. And my thanks to Weston for coming on and sharing his life. I was so impressed with Weston. He is just an amazing guy, and I so enjoyed speaking with him. We spoke for a little while after talking about our favorite fighters and everything, and he was kind enough to invite me to come out to his fight coming up in a couple weeks, and I actually will be in Orange County. So I'm excited. I'm going to go see Weston fight, and very excited to be there cheering him on and to actually meet him in person, which I think is going to just be awesome. Uh, This week in my Latter-day life, uh, I was on a flight earlier this week, and as I've mentioned multiple times, you know, I I fly a lot. uh, It's a big part of my life, almost every week. And over the past few weeks, so I was in Montreal last week. I was in, uh, let's see, I was in Las Vegas. I'm heading out to Baltimore this week. I just, I spend a lot of time on airplanes. You know, they've got the little safety video and usually they do the safety spiel where the captain comes on at some point in most flights, at least where I fly Delta. I've, I've flown almost 2 million lifetime miles with Delta. I'm on their planes a lot. And at the end they'll say, so sit back, relax and enjoy the flight. And as you'll notice at the beginning, if you listen for a long time, I always say, so sit back, relax and enjoy this week's conversation. And I do that kind of as a nod to my time flying. You know, I kind of, it's just kind of a fun thing to say. Kind of funny to think about sitting back and relaxing and enjoying it. Hopefully it's kind of how you listen to the show. Uh, But in any case, I was on a flight last week and they had a new safety video. And so I watched it and it's, it's kind of fun and kind of different. And at the very end, a person comes on and says, so sit back, settle in, and enjoy the flight. And it hit me. I went, sit back and settle in. No, 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 you got it wrong. It's sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. And it's so funny that I actually noticed it. In fact, my wife and I were in Las Vegas flying back, and I pointed it out. I said, see, they got it wrong. They said, sit back and settle in. And it bothered me. And my wife looked at me like I was crazy, which clearly I am on this one, because does it really matter? The real message was that we're to be safe on a flight, and here's how to be safe. And it doesn't matter if the captain says, sit back and relax, or sit back and settle in. Uh, So that's why at the beginning of this episode, I said, sit back and settle in. It was to make me uncomfortable, because a lot is changing in life at all times, and the church is changing and moving faster than ever, that's for sure. You know, whether it's how long we meet and our meeting times and when missionaries can go out and how people, uh, young men and young women advance, it is constantly changing and we're told it will change more. And all these things challenge us and go, no, 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 this is how it is. I like it this way. I'm comfortable with this. And sometimes when there are those changes, I admit it's a punch to the gut to me. I go, no, I, I was comfortable this way. Well, it's time for us all to be uncomfortable. If I could highly recommend listening to the Latter-day Saint Mission cast, my friend Nick Galletti 
uh, had an episode January 10th. It's called What is Doctrine? What is Policy? And What is Practice? with uh, a man named Mike Goodman. And it is one of my favorite episodes of any podcast ever. Again, that's Latter-day Mission Cast, and it's fantastic. This episode is just, they go through, what is the difference? Sorry, I think I just said Latter-day Mission Cast. Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. Um, They go through, what is the difference between actual doctrine versus practice and policy? And let us not get hung up in practices and policies and so stuck in our ways. It is time for us to be uncomfortable. These are the last days, and it's for each and every one of us. So in the meantime, I am going to get on the airplanes and embrace sitting back, settling in, and enjoying my flights, even though at the beginning of the show, I think next week I'll probably go back to just sit back and relax. But in all these things, what really matters is the doctrines of the gospel and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is what is happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much uh, for listening this week and for all of the support. Remember, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter. We like to keep up with our former guests. So please follow us there. If you want to reach out to me, I can be reached at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. We would love to hear from you. So until next week, when we'll have another fantastic guest, please remember, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. So go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>